So we are in a sermon series called To Be Honest, and it's a chance for our staff to all come and address different specific topics that we think are important conversations to address and to address directly. Um, last week, Blaine kicked us off talking about spiritual warfare and the importance of remembering that we're already in that battle um, and what it means to be aware of that and what it means to participate in that. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about another important topic that I'm sure we've all been thinking about to some degree. Um, and that's that thing that's happening on November 3rd. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but there's an election happening. Uh, and I think it can be a really confusing time. Um, I know I have a lot of questions. I know that I have a lot of frustrations, a lot of anger, a lot of fears, but still a lot of hope. And I think all of us are kind of grappling with um, how we should be in this moment. I think it can be hard for us to figure out you know, as spiritual people, people who are followers of Jesus, what do we do in a political moment? Where do the two um, intersect? And so I want to be able to speak to that a little bit, maybe share some things that I've been processing, the things that I am thinking about in this moment um, to be able to help you. Because I remember the last election, um, four years ago now, uh, it was my junior year of college and I was at a Chi Alpha watch party for the election because that's what DC college students do. <laughs> um, and I remember getting the results. Um, and I remember being very frustrated. I was upset, I was confused, I was unsure. I had a lot of questions. I didn't know what to do. Um, what was my role as a Christian? I was confused. There were people who were a lot more excited about the results than I was. How was I supposed to kind of reconcile that? What did I do with it? And I was just left, honestly, just feeling like I was just in a pit of confusion and just being uncertain as to what was I supposed to do? How do I respond as a Christian? How am I supposed to feel? Um, because I felt frustrated. Um, I felt that I felt angry and I didn't know what to do with that. And so, of course, I decided to turn to what other Christian leaders were saying, right? I was trying to turn to pastors and theologians and all types of people who maybe could give me some insight on so what I'm supposed to do in this crazy, crazy moment, someone who could offer me some comfort. But no matter where I turned or who I talked to or, or what sermon I listened to, it felt like the only thing that I could get from people was this quote, which I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've even said, um, but it's this, they would say, it doesn't matter who's president because Jesus is king. And then sometimes they switch it up a little bit, do a little remix and they'd be like, it doesn't matter who's in the white house because Jesus is on the throne. Right. And I would hear those words, but honestly, they didn't help. They didn't offer any comfort to me. They didn't give me any more guidance, any more direction. They didn't make me feel any better. And then I felt weird because then I was like, okay, I guess I'm just a bad Christian because here I am looking at the things that's going on in the world and I'm, and I'm just so unsure, uncertain and, and unsure of what's happening. And I know that as a Christian, Jesus is king is true. I know he's king no matter what. I know that he's on the throne no matter what, but that doesn't offer me comfort. Why not? Am I a bad Christian for not being able to rest in that truth? But I realized looking back, um, that four years ago, my feelings were valid. Um, the fact that I couldn't find comfort in those words were valid. And they're valid for two reasons. I think the reason, number one, why that statement, no matter who's president, Jesus is king, um, is not necessarily helpful and not a framework that I would encourage you to use, um, is number one, because when people usually say that, 
What they're really saying with those words is that I'm coming from a place of privilege in which the current political climate does not affect me. Therefore, I don't care to change it. Therefore, I don't care to engage and I have no problems just focusing on the things that I deem to be this Christian spiritual things. Right? But for me, as someone who's watching what's going on, I did not feel unaffected. I felt very affected by what was happening. I felt very upset. And I would argue that all of us are always affected by the political climate or should care about the political climate because even if it doesn't directly affect us, we should care about the people who it does affect. And so that's the first reason why I think that that phrase is not necessarily the kind of framework that we should go in with. The second reason why I think that that's not a great framework for us to be using <clears throat> is because it's true, it doesn't matter who's president, Jesus is king. But that statement doesn't mean that, that we have no reason to do anything, that we should just step back and not be involved in politics. If we believe that Jesus is king, that means that there's a kingdom. And I can tell you that that kingdom has a lot of expectations from us. That kingdom requires a lot of us. That kingdom has implications, and some of those implications are political. And so that's why tonight I want to begin to kind of talk about these ideas. Like I said, I don't have any concrete um, answers for solving all the problems of the world. Um, I don't know who's going to win, so if you're looking for a prophetic message, this is not that, at least not in that way. But I do want to be able to offer us a framework because the election is happening on November 3rd, but really it's happening now. I'm sure most of you already voted. But I want us to know before we even get the election results to start to think about what is God calling us to? What is our role in this political moment as spiritual people, as followers of Jesus? How are we supposed to think about it? And I want us to think about this before we even see those results come November 3rd. Whenever um, I'm thinking about what our role is as a church, when I was trying to figure out what is, um, what is something that speaks into this moment that can give me guidance for, for God's calling to us no matter what, um, and I'm reminded of a passage in Matthew 5, um, and I'll read it. It's Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, and Jesus says this. He's talking to anyone who's listening to him preach and to his disciples. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this passage um, comes in Matthew 5, and you probably heard of Matthew 5 because it's a pretty popular passage because it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is when Jesus um, talks about the Beatitudes, the whole idea of blessed are those who mourn in spirit because they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, right? Jesus says all these things, and then he goes into this passage about salt and light. So what he really did was said, hey, I'm going to lay out what my kingdom looks like, this kingdom that I keep talking about, my teachings, all these things that I've come to bring. I'm going to lay out what those things are. And now that you can understand them, I'm telling you that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world and that you are the people that I want to do this through. Now, for those of us who season our food with things other than salt, we may have to contextualize this, okay? I like to think about it as you know, if the potato salad loses its paprika, I don't want it. Trample it underfoot. You know what I'm saying? 
So feel free to contextualize this as you need. But really what this metaphor is saying is that the people of God, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, they are the means through which these ideas of God's kingdom permeate the world. Like where, how we are, how it seeps in to our country, into our families, our communities, and really this entire world. Jesus is saying he wants to do it through us, his followers. Because one of the things that I've noticed over the past four years, particularly this political climate of the past four years, um, and just the extreme amount of polarization we've seen, um, and just really extreme politics is honestly what it feels like. I think to me, one of the most frustrating things, possibly even more than just the kind of happenings of the world, is that from my perspective, it often seems like the church is losing its saltiness. Feels like our light is being dimmed or, or hidden under a bowl. And not because of other people from the outside, but because of the church itself. Because I've seen over the past four years that Christians have been willing to sacrifice the reputation of Christ for allegiance to a political party and really to a political leader. They sacrifice the reputation of Christ for allegiance to a political party or political leader. And what do I mean by that? Well, think about it. Have you ever talked to someone who's not a Christian about what they think a Christian is? I know I've had this conversation with my friends who aren't Christians. And it seems like this has probably been true for a long time, but I think especially recently, when people think about um, who a Christian is, what a Christian looks like, they often think of someone who is full of hatred. They think of someone who is bigoted. They think of someone who does not care about the poor, someone who does not care about the marginalized. Essentially, they think of someone who represents the opposite of everything that Jesus stands for. And I've seen so many Christians do this because they wanted to align themselves with a certain politic that did not align itself with Jesus. And it's caused the church to lose its saltiness and lose its role in bringing forth the kingdom of heaven and ultimately doing the things that Jesus taught us. See, we cannot expect our government to live out the teachings of Jesus. We cannot expect political leaders to bring forth the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks a lot about politics and government in the Gospels. He does. He says things like, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. That means like pay your taxes. He says, obey the law of the land. He says to pray for your leaders. He talks about it quite a bit. But never once in my readings of the Gospels have I ever seen Jesus place the expectation on those governments and leaders to be the ones to live out what he's talking about. He never criticizes them for not following him. He never criticizes them for not being the ones to live out what he is teaching his people to do. Yet sometimes I think in the church and as Christians, we, we do expect our government to do that. We do expect them to do these things. And we almost turn to them to be our savior because we think that they're the ones who should be bringing things forth or making things look a certain way. I think that's why we get a lot of people who have warped Christianity with this sense of nationalism because they think that the country or the, the government is the one who's supposed to be Jesus, be the church. And that's just not the case. Because they're not the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Your preferred candidate or your, who you think the lesser of the evil candidate is, depending on how you feel about this election, right? They're not the light of the world. Trust me, I've seen them in the debates. They are not the light of the world. But you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. 
So what do I mean by that, right? What do I mean by saltiness, Julian? Why are you, is this an election and you're talking about salt, light, and paprika? What, what does this have to do? Because I think being the salt of the earth does include our politics. It is not limited to it, but I think that it does include it. And so while, no, we don't rely on our government to live out the kingdom of heaven, I do think that the salt of the earth are the ones who go to the polls and vote in a certain way. Vote in a way that brings forth the kingdom of God. Vote in a certain way that loves people. I think that's part of the ways, the many ways that we are to bring forth our light on the world. That's why we advocate. That's why we protest. That's why we do all types of civic engagement because we're finding different ways to permeate the earth because we are the salt of the earth. I always turn to this passage in Matthew, it's a little bit later on in Matthew, um, when I don't fully know what to do or how to think or what my perspective should be. Um, it's this guy, he comes to you, I'll just kind of paraphrase the story, it's real short. But this guy comes to Jesus and he essentially asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like, I feel like that I would ask Jesus the same thing. Like, I feel the same way. I'm like, God, there's so many things you've asked us to do and called us to do and so many different ways that I could think about things. But like, what's like the most important thing? So we asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus answers him directly. Honestly, I think the most direct Jesus ever answers someone's question because he usually doesn't do it so simply and directly. He, Jesus was like, to be honest, <laughs> he says the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. He says every other commandment, every other law, every other part of this kingdom and my teachings fall under those umbrellas. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If you have any proximity to Christianity, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, hopefully, of loving your neighbor as yourself. But I often wonder if we maybe don't fully understand the depth of this statement and how much it really means. I remember a few years ago, I was reading C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he talks about this idea a little bit. Um, He talks about the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And he kind of explains it like this. He says that we think about how we love ourselves And that should be how we love other people. And how do we love ourselves? Like, for instance, like, I don't wake up in the morning and feed myself and take care of myself just because I think I'm cute. Like, I am cute, but that's not why I do that. You know what I'm saying? I don't make sure that I have a place to stay, a roof over my head. I don't care for my greatest good because I think I'm talented or funny or attractive or for any other reason other than I am myself. Like, I am myself. I am in this person And when we're in healthy emotional and mental states, we always look out for our best interests simply because we are ourselves. Simply because we know we are valuable as a self, as the person that we are doing life as. We're intrinsically valuable. It's that whole almost of like just human self-preservation. We know to take care of ourselves. We know that our value. We know we want the best for ourselves and to take care of ourselves. But what if we extended that to other people? What if we really loved our neighbors as ourselves, just as a self? And I think that that applies to politics because that involves how we vote. Do we vote for people and love people through the policies that we support, through the people that we vote for? Are we loving for people? Are we loving people in a way that we vote for them to be taken care of instead of being harmed? Even if maybe the person we're voting for doesn't negatively affect us, does it negatively affect another person? 
are we voting for people and supporting people in a way where it doesn't matter what their lifestyle is, it doesn't matter if they disagree with us, it doesn't matter the decision that they've made, but we love them and support them and care for them simply because they are a self, someone made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis paints this idea of what would the world look like if we loved other people for no other reason, for no other reason than the fact that they are a self, that they are a person made in the image of God. So we have to think about that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As the salt of the earth, as the light of the world, these are the ideals that should drive us, even in our political decisions. And now here's the thing, right? I think we know that. Honestly, I'm sure most of us have probably already voted. We've already made our decision. Like I said, the election doesn't happen on November 3rd. It kind of ends on November 3rd. Um, I know I sent my ballot in weeks ago. That thing was signed, sealed, and hopefully delivered. Okay. Um, so we've all voted. I think we probably at this point all have made decisions. But I think the question that we're left with then is what happens on November 4th, right? And what happens after November 4th? Like I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to win. But I do think this election is important. Like I said, I think politics are important. I think we live out our faith through our politics. I think that this election is important because things will be different based on who wins. I think the results of it will change things in the country. It'll change the way that we see things play out. It will change policies. It will change the rights of certain people. Like it'll change things. It's pivotal and it's important. And that's why I think that we have to be mindful of this election when we think about what it means to permeate the world with God's kingdom. But I also think on top of that, that there will be things that are true regardless. There will be things that will be true regardless of who wins the election. Because the reality is this, that we've already seen the ugliness of the state of our country exposed. We've already seen the brokenness. We've already seen people spew hatred. We've already seen people get behind people who spew hatred. We've already seen these things. And so while this election is a lot and it's important, I don't think that it's everything. It's not all-encompassing of all the things that we're called to. Because whatever the results on November 3rd, it's not an end to really anything. I think we still have our work cut out for us as a church to make the world look more like the kingdom of heaven, even on November 4th and beyond. I think that our call is to witness to people. Our call is to bring people ultimately into that kingdom of heaven, not just to show it to them, but to bring them into it. And that doesn't end on November 3rd. We've already seen the rise of white supremacy. We've seen people who have been emboldened in their racism. And I can honestly say, I don't think that that's gonna change depending on who is in office. I think it's gonna be on the rise regardless. And so the church has to be there to fight against that on November 4th and even afterward. This election is a lot, but I don't think it's everything. And it's also not everything because I witness like I said, it includes politics, but it also goes beyond. I love how going back to our passage in that very last verse in verse 16 that we read, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Are we living in a way where our actions are bringing people to Jesus? 
I think living out in a way that that really emphasizes social justice, emphasizes politics is great. We should extend the kingdom of heaven to people. We should be caring about the poor and the marginalized and the broken. But even after that, our call is still to love so that people can ultimately come to know Jesus and love him. And that's why the church has to retain its saltiness, because in addition to making the world look better, we also bring people into relationship with Jesus. And if we lose our saltiness, which honestly I think is the love that we extend, then we won't be bringing people in. And that has to happen now, that has to happen November 3rd, that has to happen after November 3rd. Our call goes beyond just this election. And so honestly, yeah, I think the next few weeks are going to be messy. We've seen brokenness. I think a lot of us are even evaluating friendships and relationships with people who we saw get behind hatred. And now we have to figure out, do we, do we love through reconciliation? Is that possible? Or do we love them and forgive them and shake the dust off of our feet? and move on and continue to bring forth the kingdom of heaven. And I can't answer that question for you. I think that's one of the things that we have to bring to God um, and ask Christ to speak into specifically. But just there's a lot of work cut out for us, and I don't think that it just is in this election. It's a lot, but I don't want us to make it the whole thing and to make it everything. Because like I said in the beginning, that statement, the idea of, you know, it doesn't matter who's president because Jesus is king— to a certain degree, it is true. It doesn't matter who's president because either way, Jesus is king and there is a kingdom and we are the salt and the light of that kingdom either way. If the candidate who you support wins, that does not give you a reason to sit back and do nothing and say, we're done. We did it. We fixed it. Because if you have ears that hear and eyes that see, you can see that the brokenness is still around us. And I don't think it's going to end just by one person, because we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world and we are the ones who will bring that about. So will we make followers of Jesus people who are known by their love? Will we live that out even beyond this election cycle? Will we love in a way that binds up the brokenhearted but also brings them into relationship with Jesus? Our witness includes this election, it includes our politics, but it also goes beyond that. And I want us to remember that as we move forward. We're going to respond sometime in worship, but I just want to pray for us first before we do that. Jesus, we thank you so much for um, just your goodness, God. Lord, we know that you are king. Um, we know that you have a kingdom and you're bringing us into that kingdom, God. And I pray that you would show us what it looks like to be part of that kingdom, God. Would you show us what it means to be salt and light? Would you show, it, show us what it means to, to extend your love and your grace to the whole world, God? Would you give us wisdom in this season? Would you give us hope, Lord? Would you give us guidance for what you're calling us to do and asking us to do, both in the grand scheme of this whole election season and also very specifically in our individual lives and relationships, Jesus? We know that in you is wholeness, God, and so we ask you, to bring that forth, God. God, I pray that it will be on earth as it is in heaven and that you would do it through us, your people, God. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.